the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. The other thing is, is that today we're going to be talking about some stuff that is um, uh, sexual in nature. So uh, we're going to be talking about adultery and divorce and I might even actually talk about that a little bit more graphically or <laughs> talk about it in a manner that makes it clear to you what we're talking about here. So if you have little kids that are joining this morning, um, you might want to uh, close their ears at certain times or maybe turn it off and let them watch Barney or something. Is Barney still on? Um, and uh, if I'm talking about the actual physical act of sex, I don't want to talk about that necessarily. It's very embarrassing for me. Um, although it's, you know, it's part of life. It's part of how we procreate, how I have four kids, right? Um, but if I'm going to do that, I'm going to call it the wild thing. So, <laughs> so if I get into this and you hear me talk about the wild thing, if you've got kids around, they maybe will not understand, but hopefully you'll understand. So anyway, that is the ground rules for today. We're just going to talk about three subjects. Um, you have to remember now in the arc of the narrative of Matthew, uh, Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, then he did um, uh, he he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Then he healed a lot of people. Not really big deal there. Then he sent his disciples out. Not really big deal there. But now he's starting to get a crowd, and because he's starting to get a crowd, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees are all um, very much nervous about Jesus. They don't like Jesus, and we've seen a couple chapters ago that they've already now started to plot to kill Jesus. So that's kind of where we are in the story, is that Jesus is still teaching, he's still healing, he's still on his way eventually to Jerusalem, but now he has followers who love Jesus and a crowd, but then he also has sparked the attention of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, maybe even Herod, I don't know. Uh, and uh, because of that, they do not want Jesus uh, alive. They've decided to kill him. So that's kind of the setup to where we are today. And today we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 1. So you can uh, join along with me here. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, to marry for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united unto his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. 
For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who have chosen to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Wow, so a lot of stuff here. So good. I mean, I could spend months on this one little section of scripture, but we're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to basically just kind of break this up a little bit and talk about it. So Jesus goes uh, and starts teaching again. And now the Pharisees come. You have to remember, they're going to test him. They do not want Jesus to live. They want to kill Jesus. How do they kill Jesus? Well, one way to kill Jesus, right, would be to go and stab him to death or something like that and kill Jesus. Um, or as my wife would say, um that's how she stabs uh, when she carves a pumpkin. Anyway, so um, they, they could kill Jesus outright, right? But they're Pharisees, Sadducees. They have laws that you just can't kill people, right? It is against God's law. It's against the Roman law. It's against the Jewish law to kill people. So they're not going to do it. So they're trying to find some other way. Well, what's the hot topic that's been going all around uh, Israel at this point, right? I mean, the big one is that Herod, King Herod, has a brother and a brother had a wife, and the wife divorced the brother, and then Herod remarried this wife. Uh, it is definitely adult. Well, I don't know if he married her. He's just having adultery with her, right? I mean, that is the big topic of discussion. And if you'll remember, there was a guy in Jerusalem who actually spoke out about against Herod because of this. And who was that person? It was John the Baptist. It was Jesus' cousin. And he goes and he out in the wilderness and in the, wherever he can talk. And he's talking about this horrible thing of adultery that King Herod did, and he's speaking against it. Now, I find it interesting that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're not out there speaking against it. Who gets arrested? It's John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist gets arrested. He's put in prison because Herod wants to continue on this adulterous relationship you know, with this woman. Um, and he doesn't want the people to rise up against him. And it should have been, it should have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees rising up against Herod saying, this is wrong. Uh, but they didn't. For some reason, well, I know what the reason is. They love their power. They love their influence. They love their power. They love the coziness that they have with Herod and with the Roman Empire. They want to kind of keep the peace and they know that, that there's, you know, Herod's a powerful man. They're not going to speak out against Herod. And so John the Baptist is out there speaking out against Herod. What happens to him? He gets thrown into prison. And then uh, Herod's wife's daughter is dancing. And, he, and she wants Herod's wife on a platter. He wants John the Baptist's wife on the platter. Herod has no choice. He has to do that. And he kills John the Baptist. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, hey, maybe this will work for us. Maybe we can trap Jesus and have him talk against adultery and Herod, right? Because if we bring up the topic of adultery, how can Jesus not respond by saying that adultery is wrong and, oh, by the way, Herod's doing a bad thing uh, in his adulterous relationship, right? And so they're going to go and they're going to test Jesus. And so they bring it up, right? They're like, oh, this is great. This is a great situation. We're going to test Jesus and we're going to talk about adultery. And then Jesus is going to say how bad it is. And he's going to talk about Herod. And then Herod's going to hear it. And he's going to throw Jesus in, in prison. And maybe we don't kill Jesus, but at least we've got Jesus contained in prison. Case closed. We can move on, right? So then they come to Jesus and they test him. And the Pharisees came to him and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Like, yeah, you're king, right? 
But Jesus goes in a totally different direction. He doesn't take the bait. He actually answers the question. And he, he answers the question in an absolutely fantastic and amazing way, right? He goes back and he says, well, haven't you read that in the beginning, the creator made them male and female? He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Um, you know, this whole question about adultery, uh, you know, it's in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments, right? In the Lutheran tradition, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery is the sixth commandment. Um, and I want to just pause here a little bit and talk about how we were created and why the commandment is there. So first of all, the first thing you need to know about the Ten Commandments, I'm sure I've talked about this before, is that they are guidelines, they are rules, they are ways in which we should live our life if we want to live the best life that God has for humankind. And that sounds crazy, right? Because they sound like commandments. They're like, they're like things you shouldn't do. They're like things that God is preventing us to do that are a lot of fun or whatever, but that's not the case. Like if you go uh, into your car right now and open up the glove box, what will you find in there? Most likely you'll find an owner's manual in the glove box and you page through that over an owner's manual and it shows you, all right, when this light comes on, this is what you do. When this thing happens, this is what you do. At 3,000 miles, you change your oil, right? Um, it's the owner's manual. Well, the Ten Commandments are like the owner's manual. You have to think in those terms when it comes to the Ten Commandments. They're not God trying to prevent us from doing stuff that we want to do. I mean, it's stuff that we want to do, but ultimately, deep down, God gave us the Ten Commandments as an owner's manual to protect us because he knows us better than we are. He knows that the way he created us is relational creatures. We are created in the image of God. He knows us better than anybody else. And so since we're created in the image of God, he gave us these commandments. Are these the things that you should do so that you do not um, fall into behaviors or patterns that are gonna destroy you? And one of those patterns for sure is the 10 commandments. <coughs> and one of those 10 commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus goes right back there. He says, at creation, he said, the two become one flesh. Now, um, I need to talk a little bit about what adultery is. Okay, so adultery, uh, so when you do, when a man and a woman come together and, and create one flesh, right? When they consummate that marriage. Who consummates better than wild thing? All right, so they consummate the, the marriage. When they come together, um, that bond that happens is a very, very powerful bond that, um, that has incredible impacts, right? When they consummate that marriage, um, even in the guy, right, there's a dopamine rush, there's a surge that happens in the brain, um, and what's gonna happen when you do that? I read this book a couple years ago. We actually did a sermon series about a couple years ago, and it was on um, healthy habits and unhealthy habits. And basically, uh, what this book said is that a habit is a is a feedback loop, right? The perfect example they gave is the toothpaste wasn't selling at all, toothpaste is not selling, and all of a sudden they put this tingling feeling in toothpaste. And so when you brush your teeth, you get that tingling feeling in your mouth. It's like, hey, I wanna do that again. My mouth is clean, right? 
Well, it was mouth, it, your mouth was clean before they put the tingling sensation in the toothpaste. But what the, what that one thing was by putting the tingling sensation in your toothpaste, what that did was it created a feedback loop that over time it created a healthy habit because it, you got that tingly feeling, right? Now think of that in consummating a marriage, right? You get that tingly feeling, that dopamine rush. And then what is, what is happening is that it's bonding you it's bonding two people together through that act uh, that's very healthy, that, that you're, we're going to stay together. And a lot of the, so that is a, that is a wonderful picture of what a marriage is. I mean, that, that, that's, it's not just that dopamine rush and that bond. There's also an emotional bond. There's the physical bond we just talked about. There's a spiritual bond, right? And all of those things are surrounded by marriage. And what marriage ends in, in its rawest form is it's two people coming together and consummating the marriage. That's the point that somebody, that this, this bond has happened. And there's no longer two people. They've come together and they've created one flesh. And as they continue to consummate, that flesh gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's the way that we were created. So what adultery is in its rawest form is one or two of those people is now going and creating different feedback loops, different dopamine rushes, uh, and, and violating the marriage, right? Violating, it's putting at risk the emotional, physical, uh, spiritual bond that people have together in marriage, and now you're, you're risking that for something else. And marriages are, marriage is the most profound. Remember, when we, when we were created... When God created man, then he created woman to be a, a helper, right? A, a, an assistant, a, a complete, a completion of man, right? Out of woman, out of man came woman. Now they come back together and it's a complete unit. It's no longer two people. It's one unit of people. And when you start to violate that, it has emotional impacts. It has uh, physical impacts. It has spiritual impacts. It has all sorts of them. I'm not even talking about kids and all that sort. I'm just talking about you as a human being. When that, uh, when adultery happens, it violates all that stuff and it puts at risk your it, your emotional health, your physical health, uh, your spiritual health. It puts all that at risk simply by committing adultery. And that's where Jesus goes. He said. The two will become one flesh. It's no longer two people, but it's one flesh. And Jesus goes all the way back to creation to show that um, adultery was given to us to protect us because we're created as human beings that, that thrive when we have a helper and when the two come together into one flesh. I mean, I have been so blessed in my marriage uh, because of the complementary uh, nature that my wife is. I mean... Uh, we we complement each other. We support each other. You know, we we have arguments with each other. We I mean all these things, but but we're together. We're and as long as that is together, she makes me a better person. I probably don't make her a better person because she's pretty cool now. But I mean, I probably do make her a better person. But we come together and we grow spiritually, physically, emotionally. It's a great thing. Why violate that? I mean, that when you do that. You're putting the whole entire marriage at risk. You're putting your whole entire life at risk. Ultimately, because the Ten Commandments are for our own good, you're putting your own body at risk by violating that, okay? I'm just saying that. So that's, that, and Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis to say that's the why, why we were created. And adultery is a serious thing back in Genesis. Now, 
Now, all the other things that surround this uh, are to keep us. So, you know, the laws against adultery and the certificate of divorce and even the marriage ceremony itself, right? The marriage ceremony is a ceremony that's wrapped around the consummation, right? So that uh, you make a public declaration that till death do us part. And it's a wonderful ceremony. There's lots of scriptures and, you know, they have weddings in Cain and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, that's just a shelter to protect this new bond that's come together. Uh, so it's not lo no longer two people, but one person. Because when you publicly profess, you know, to the world that we are going to stay together till death do us part, that is a, um, that helps you protect you against adulterous relationships. And ultimately, adulterous relationships will destroy you. Uh, so don't do it. Um, now, I probably should add that, you know, in our world today, my goodness, we have so much sexuality on TV. And I think that's why we have, you know, some of the problems we have is because it's all on TV and it makes it sound as if it's no big deal, right? Uh, but it is a big deal because, um, you know, remember the movie Bambi? Um, uh, Bambi and uh, what was her name? Uh, you know, they, they, he becomes Twitter-pated, right? You know, with this girl. That's, that's the way it always has been, right? Guys get um, attached. Uh, guys can get attached to a woman even before they're, before they're married, right? And, um, and it's a very, very powerful bond. And if, uh, if it's broken, even if they never get married, there's some guys, you know, that remember their first love, and how uh, attracted they were to that person and how much there was so much emotional and physical and, and spiritual attraction to that person. And then, you know, if they never get married or consummate that marriage or whatever, there's a hole in his heart, you know, for a very, very long time that may never be filled because that's just the way we're created, right? Uh, I wonder if that's why, you know, they have matchmakers back, back in the old times, right? Is because they would kind of see who the guy was attracted to, and they'd say, okay, these two are going to get together, and these two are going to get together to protect the guy's heart. Because, I mean, if you've ever met a guy who's, who has said, you know, that's the one I'm going to marry, and, you know, he, he lives his whole life thinking that's the one he's going to marry, and all of a sudden it doesn't happen, it can destroy him. I mean, it really, really can cause all sorts of emotional, physical, spiritual problems. So um, it's a very, very dangerous thing. You have to tread on it very, very lightly. Uh, we were created to be in bonds, you know, in, in nature, uh, even here in the Arizona desert, right? Quails bond for life. Uh, I understand coyotes bond for life, doves bond for life. There's lots of animals that bond for life. We're not the only ones, but we are the ones that are healthier by bonding for life uh, till death parts us. Um, you know, and some people, they... They lose their spouse and they just, they're just not interested in finding anybody else because their, their heart is broken and that's, you know, that's just the way they are. And it is, you know, a relationship, you know, marriage, this whole thing is a very interesting subject. I guess I should also say that if you've, you know, if, if, uh, if adultery is in your life, uh, if, you've, if you have had adultery, um, know that Jesus is more powerful than that. His forgiveness is more powerful than that. His love and his grace is more powerful than that. You know, we've been talking this whole year about abundant life and living the abundant life is, first of all, justification, right? That Jesus has won the battle for you, uh, won the war for you, and then sanctification, which is he walks beside you in the battles of life. And sometimes you lose a battle, 
But that, that doesn't mean that Jesus you know, is throwing you out of the kingdom. It doesn't mean that he's not gonna walk beside you in the battles that you struggle in life. Uh, every day is a new day. Uh, every life that he gives is a new life. Um, so uh, don't be discouraged by that. These are some t- difficult teachings. And particularly in the, today's world, we have, you know, I, it is rare. I mean, it's very, very rare to find someone who is, you know, bonded to one person for their whole life and they never violate that bond. Um, you know, statistics are showing that that's rare. Um, but it's, it, it shouldn't be because it's the way we were created. Uh, anyway, so I just, I just wanted to get that on the table because uh, it is um, something that uh, we were created for. And, and the laws all against, you know, adultery are put there to protect our, ourselves and to help us not go into adultery. All right, so... That is taking us to Matthew 19, 8 through 12. And now we're going to go to a little tiny section. It's on the little children. And it's, um, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as this. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So this is uh, just a little quick Reminder that Jesus, uh, he says this over and over and over again, that the kingdom of heaven is like being a little child between mommy and daddy and just trusting that God, you know, that when you are a little child between mommy and daddy and they're holding on to you and they're even swinging you, that is the the safest place you could ever be for a little child, right? You're a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and mommy and daddy love you and they give you kisses and tickles and all that sort of thing and they surround you with love and you're a little kid and you think that's all I need in the world. That's all I need in the world is just mommy and daddy and love and tickles and I'm happy for the rest of my life. Um, and Jesus says, when you come into the kingdom, that's what I want you to be like. I want you to hold on to, to daddy, right? And let him give you hugs and tickles and just say, as long as I've got this relationship, what else do I need in life? And he says this over and over again. I think this is about the third time now in Matthew where Jesus has talked about the kingdom of heaven is like this little child. So take note, this is what it's like, okay? Uh, And then he's gonna go and talk about the kingdom of heaven, Matthew is, right? So we're gonna go now to to Matthew and uh, let's see here, Matthew 19. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
Then Peter answered him, We left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Wow. So uh, this is the situation. You've got this rich man and he comes to Jesus and, he's, and obviously he wants to do the right thing, right? He wants to ask this great teacher, this great rabbi, how he can live his life so that um, he is that he is pleasing to God, okay? And, um, and Jesus right out tells him, well, you have to do all these things. You can't murder, you can't commit adultery, shall not steal, basically gives him an outline of the 10 commandments. And the guy says, well, I keep those, right? I keep those. And then Jesus goes on to say a fascinating thing. He says, all right, then go ahead and do this one thing just a simple thing. He says, I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to give it to the poor and I want you to come and follow me. And the guy can't do it because he's very rich. And then Jesus says, see how hard it is for a rich person to become uh, my follower. Now, the thing you have to understand here is that what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Now, remember, the kingdom of God happens uh, at justification because Jesus bought and purchased you and you're now no longer a slave, but you're living in the castle as a child of the king, right? You're in the kingdom. Uh, and then Jesus comes and walks beside you with his Holy Spirit to help sanctify you and grow you in the kingdom. Jesus is talking here about the kingdom. Now, a lot of people read this and they say, well, you know, rich people don't go to heaven. This has nothing to do about going to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct of being in the kingdom. Uh, eternal life with God is a byproduct of being in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit walking with you is a byproduct of the kingdom. But the thing that Jesus came for is to get you into the kingdom. So if you're in the kingdom, and this, this rich guy could certainly be in the kingdom. He could be justified by Jesus. But as far as sanctification, living as a person of the kingdom, living as a child holding on to mommy and daddy and saying, here, swing me because all I need is, is you, right? All I need to live in the kingdom is this relationship I have with the father. It's not anything that I can do. It's everything that the king does, right? I rely wholeheartedly on the king, except if you are a rich and powerful person, and this is what Jesus is talking about, if you're rich and powerful and you can do it all yourself because you don't need God, you don't need him in your life, you don't need anybody else, you don't struggle because you have all the wealth and power, you've hoarded it all to yourself. I shouldn't say hoard, but you know, you, you've you gathered it all to yourself. God has blessed you with, because there's some people God has blessed with a lot of wealth, but you've got all this wealth, right? And, um, and now you're relying upon your own wits, your own wealth, your own power, all about you, which of course is now, right, the American dream, right? It's all about uh, gathering wealth and power and independence and all that sort of thing so we can make it on our own. But there's, there's a little twist in there is that you can't do it on your own. The, all the wealth in the world, all the power in the world, everything in the world, there will still be times in your life 
when the wealth has no answer for you, where the power has no answer for you. You know, you come into a coronavirus. How many wealthy guys right now are struggling in the coronavirus because they don't, they've got all the money in the world and they want, you know, to do certain things, but they can't. Um, and maybe they own a business and the business is going to come tumbling down. They're going to start over again at zero because this whole virus has crashed their business, right? I mean, here they thought everything was going well in their life. And all of a sudden now you have this pandemic comes in and it destroys their business and they, you know, they have to get rid of all their employees. They have to sell their house. They have to sell everything and they have to start over at ground zero. Um, and how horrible and difficult that is. Well, if you've got mommy and daddy and they're swinging you, that's not a big deal in your life. It's like, okay, I'll start over again. Not a big deal. For other people, if your power and your wealth and it was all about what you can do uh, and how, you know, how, how much you can navigate the world and how much power you have and all that, if it's all about you and it comes crashing down, it could have the potential of destroying you. And living in the kingdom is more about what God can do in your life than it is about what you can do in your life. There are simply some things in your life that cannot be answered by power, by wealth, uh, by notoriety, you know, position in society, all those things. There are just some things in life that, uh, that cannot be answered by those things. And you can have all these, all the wealth, all the power, the nice car, the nice home, you know, the, the great vacations, the great food. You can have all that stuff and it's not going to protect you when the really, really bad things in life happen, like pandemics or death or loss of relationship. And if you're relying on all that stuff, you know, to keep you protected, your body, mind, and soul, when those bad things happen, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look into the creator of the universe. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell this guy. Listen, just give it all up and follow me and you will have everything you would ever want in life. You could be my follower, you know, Jesus is like, yeah, you, I'll die, I'll rise again, I'll start my church. You can be right there at the beginning. You can preach my gospel. You can live the most wonderful life you would ever possibly imagine. They'll write books about you. They'll have songs about you. They might even have a day, you know, in the church here about you. But the guy says, no, I can't do it. And he walks away. Of course, then the disciples go on, Right. They're like, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, Peter said. We left everything to follow you. What will there be for us, right? So Peter's showing his hand a little bit, right? Because what is Jesus doing? Jesus is, is healing people. Jesus is following a crowd, right? He's getting, I wouldn't say power and wealth, but he's getting notoriety. You know, he's starting to build himself up. And the disciples are like, hey, this is what the kingdom is like. It's it's, we're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to overthrow Herod. We're going to start this new kingdom. Jesus is going to sit on the throne and it's going to be this wonderful thing and I'm going to be his right-hand man and I'm going to have all this power and I'm going to tell people what to do and I'm going to live the life that I finally want to live because I'm going to have everything I could possibly want. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, no. The kingdom that I'm coming to bring is something totally different. My kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is something outside of this earth and you're already a part of the kingdom and I am the king, uh, but it's not an earthly kingdom. Jesus tells you at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne. And so it's not, it's the renewal of all things, he Jesus says. When the son of man sits on his glorious throne, 
you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. So Jesus is telling Peter, don't worry. You may not get it in this life, right? All the power and the wealth and all that. But trust me, there is a place for you uh, in the kingdom. And because you were one of my first followers and you followed me, uh, because you were bold, because you walked on the water, because you know you, you did all the bold things that Peter did, um, because you left your house and your brothers and your sisters, your father, mother, wife, children, all that, because you came and followed me. Your place is secure, not only in the kingdom, but it's even elevated in the kingdom. I, I can't wait to meet Peter just to see what he's like, right? Is he, is he really just as bold and brash as Matthew and Luke put him out to be? Because um, he just seems like he's one that acts first and then thinks later, right? And uh, I'm one who thinks first and acts later. So uh, he's a good counterpart to me because I love Peter. Uh, he is my favorite disciple. I don't know why, but just just the way that he has no fear, right? I think based upon my personality type, I have a little bit of fear in me, right? And the way I compensate for that fear is I think things through until the end, and then I think another thing through to the end, and I, I got all these you know, pieces going to the end and I think it through and I got a plan for each one of them, right? But other people, they think with their body, right? It's like, well, I'm just going to do it and if it doesn't work, then I'll do something else, right? And I'm like, well, you can't do something stupid. That would be dumb. It's like, oh, if it doesn't work, I'll just go somewhere else. Every, we're all created differently, right? We all have different ways of approaching our fears. But I don't think Peter had any fear. I think fear was about as far away from Peter uh, as the East is from the West, right? Peter had no fear. He just boldly acted, and when things happen in his life, he just boldly acted. Uh, And that's what I love about Peter. I can't wait to meet Peter. But this is what Jesus says. The kingdom is not of this earth. The kingdom is forever. And you know what? You're a part of the kingdom, Peter. You have a place in the kingdom. And you know what? You and I have a place in the kingdom. And uh, so many times we cling to uh, some things on this earth that we think are gonna be there to protect us when things come tumbling down, right? We hoard toilet paper. We hoard, uh, I'm hoarding, you know, uh, I, every time I go to the store and there's meat that seems at a decent price, I get a couple extra pounds and it's in the freezer just in case. Um, but, you know, all the meat in the world in the freezer is not gonna protect you uh, all the time. And there may be a time when we do run out of food, right? There may be a time when things don't go uh, the way we want it to, when a pandemic wipes everything out and we have to start over again. And at those points, uh, Jesus is there. His Holy Spirit is walking beside us. Um, it's okay to start over again, right? What can, there is no power on earth that can ever separate, no height, no depth, nor angels, nor things past, nor things present, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the kingdom. And, you know, this little blip that we have called living on earth, you know, the 80, 90, 100 years that we have, is nothing compared to the eternity with Jesus in the kingdom. And uh, so the things of this earth, while they're wonderful and they're nice and we love them, they're not always going to protect us when the bad things happen. The one thing that protects us is the king who came for you and me to love us and to bring us into the kingdom. So that's the end of Matthew 19. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, um, a difficult teaching on divorce and adultery, but Lord, we pray for your grace. Uh, We know that you created us uh, to become one flesh. 
Uh, Sometimes that doesn't work out, Lord, but your grace overwhelms us and still forgives us and still helps us to stay in the kingdom. And for that, we thank you. Lord, there's no greater joy. It's better than power or wealth or even keeping your commandments. There's, There's no other greater joy than knowing that you are our Father and we are your precious child. And because of you, you have kept us in the kingdom. Walk with us, uh, walk with our nation, walk with our world as we struggle with this coronavirus. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name.